Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another edition of Waiting for Next Year's Cavs Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This is your host, Seth. And joining again tonight, you can read his work on Write Down Euclid. Listen to him daily at Locked On Cavs, which I just did about an hour ago at the gym. You, you got oh. you, you guys got me through my little treadmill. <laughs> Follow him at Am Not Evan. It's Evan Damrell joining again. Evan, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I hopefully our voices aren't too monotone enough where you don't fall asleep like on the treadmill or whatever you're doing. Like if someone's spotting you and you're benching, like the last thing I'd want is for you just like to fall asleep with the press and just crush yourself. So <laughs> just safety first, obviously, when it comes to the gym, but. Yeah, I appreciate you listening, but I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. I, I feel like that was like some legal counsel to make sure you guys don't get sued or anything. So that's that's well well taken. Good to say on the airwaves. No, it, it's okay. Um, I don't gatekeep uh, podcast <laughs> listening or podcast hosting or anything like that. If you know, you know. So <laughs> if you know, you know. Love it. Speaking of, if you know, you know. I've got to do a quick ad read, if you know, about Underdog Fantasy. So we over at WFNY, we've got a great deal with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, for first-time depositors, we're going to match you $100 if you put in 100 Enter in the code WFNY at checkout, and Underdog will match your deposit up to $100. Underdog is a great platform if you're tired of the DFS salary system. There's tons of games, drafts every single night, any sport you can think of. Don't forget, use WFNY at checkout for your first time to get deposit matched up to $100. That being said, Evan, we haven't talked mm-hmm. in, a, in a couple days. Cavs have gone 2-1. and one. Um, Opening night, lost to the Raptors, 105-108. Cavs got outscored by, I believe, 11 in the fourth. Um, they rebounded to beat the Bulls, 128-96, and what was one of the more ridiculous shooting nights I've ever seen by the Cleveland Cavaliers. They shot 56% from the game, 59% from three, and I believe they were up towards 90% from the free throw line. Um, and then on the second half of the back-to-back, they went ahead and beat the Wizards 117 to 107, an overtime thriller. Uh, like I said, mm-hmm. second night of a back-to-back. The, the boys were tired, but they got it done. Um, Evan, for those three games, two and one thus far, first weekend, uh, can you give me one takeaway on offense and one on defense over those three games? On offense, Donovan Mitchell's just – out of his court insane right now and he's averaging i believe 33 points six assists and seven rebounds since darius garland went down when gary trent jr inadvertently poked his eye and for folks listening that it was a reckless play let's just be frank about it but donovan mitchell's just been absolutely nuts and i think him just kind of doing this is it's a bit of a trial by fire. Like you're forcing Evan Mobley to get familiar with him for sure but you're forcing his whole team to get familiar with donovan mitchell on the floor but more than anything, it's just he's he's awesome. Like he is exactly as advertised. And I wrote about this for my story on Monday for Write Down Euclid, where last season when Darius Garland went down with injury, um, they, the Cavs were outscored by nine point three points per hundred possessions, and that's just 
you know, the, you obviously have a little bit of like, oh, no, that's not good. And you see him fall to the floor in Toronto and you have concerns like, oh, is this going to be the same issue as last year? Are they going to have to lean on Karis LeVert? Are they going to have to lean on Kevin Love? Because Larry Market and Colin Sexton are gone. So who the heck are you going to lean on here? But Donovan Mitchell just put the team on his back like um, Greg Jennings without a broken leg and just carry, <laughs> has carried the Cavs considerably. And like, flirted the triple-double against Chicago. Um Obviously, he said he didn't have the best fourth quarter against Washington, but he was able to do just enough to get the Cavs over the edge and win in overtime. And at the end of the day, a win's a win. That's all that matters. But you could definitely tell, like you said, the guys retired down the stretch against Washington. And that's my big offensive takeaway. I'm going to stew on the defensive one for a second because I, I have a bit of an interesting take because I was looking at some advanced stats today, but I want to hear what your offensive takeaway was so far. Yeah, absolutely. Not not to piggyback. I, I want to play contrarian, but I think Donovan's been so good, it would be disservice to not say Donovan Mitchell. He, you know, one of the things that I really underrated, I think, um, I, I watched a, a couple of the, the Jazz playoff games last season, and the defensive effort um, from from Donovan leading to the offense, if that makes sense. I think he's averaging two steals per game. He, he's just so long, plays those passing lanes and turns it into offense at times. That that piece has really impressed me. Um, and just his decision-making, His uh, I've lost count in, in terms of the number of times he's split two defenders and got to the paint, and then he just hangs in the air. He has enough athleticism to hang in the air and either have a, you know do a little, little floater, a little jump shot that he has in, in the lane, or kick it out to – uh, one of the many shooters on this team, Osman, uh, amongst others. So, yeah, I've just been severely impressed with Donovan Mitchell. I, I think we all knew the scoring ability was there. The decision-making and playing those passing lanes has, has really been impressive to me. And it's cool because I think you're seeing the Cavs take a couple pages of what worked in Utah when you're, like, putting the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands where, like, you're running a lot of spread pick and roll. You're looking for, like you said, when Donovan – blows past two defenders or he's able to just get into the paint and either he can score or he has enough foresight and wherewithal to know that like, Hey, I have shooters in Dean Wade or Kevin Love or Jetty Osmond, or even at times cares Levert on the perimeter, just operating out there. And like defenders are going to have to collapse on Donovan Mitchell because it's Donovan freaking Mitchell. He's one of the best players at his position. So it'd be remiss, remiss of you not to, defend him honestly so like you're gonna get some pretty clean looks for those guys floating on the perimeter and you're seeing jetty osmond just guns blazing torching hot and it's interesting because the Cavs are the top i know it's three games in so it's a very small sample size but they are the number one team in terms of three-point percentage but they are 22nd or 25th but i believe last i checked in terms of three-point attempts per game so that's like hyper efficiency on the Cavs' part in terms of three-point shooting and I'm a fan of that. I know folks that are more analytically sound are a fan of that. And it's really fun to watch this Cavs team kind of evolve a little bit and adapt to more of a modern play style while keeping their core identity and some of the bones and foundation that got them here. Yeah, but 100% agree with you. I'm sure you and I are going to get into it. Some of the shooting numbers have been so ridiculous that, of course, there's probably going to be some coming back to the norm. But, hey, until that happens and until Darius comes back, it's perfect timing for a couple guys mm -hmm. to be hot early on to start the season. And and then once you get Darius back, then obviously everything changes from there offensively. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think the Cavs will regress to the mean uh, eventually. I, I, Jetty Osman historically is a peak and valley player, in my opinion, where he'll – put together a good string, a couple strings of good games and then have a couple bad games just to counterbalance it a little bit. 
And your goal is obviously to keep him steady um, and just work on just that aspect of it. But they'll regress back. They're not going to be the number one team. Like teams like Golden State, Boston, uh, Houston, um, not the Lakers, in essence, will become more three-point happy and probably just surpass Cleveland. But it's an interesting offensive wrinkle. And having Donovan Mitchell operate like that, it's just it's it's a good way to kind of get things going. And I asked Donovan about this um, uh, after the Wizards game, and I just said, like, do you feel comfortable with Evan Mobley? And Donovan Mitchell talks a lot in his answers, but he said, yeah, I think we're pretty comfortable. But I'm also just kind of figuring out, like, Darius does things a certain way with Evan, so I can do things differently. And I think being multifaceted and a little unpredictable from your two key ball handlers – is is an, is going to be a fun offensive wrinkle to kind of watch grow and develop as just the season continues to evolve. But so far, like two thumbs up from what I'm seeing from the Caps on offense. But mm-hmm. I'm still stewing on defense, so I want to hear your defensive takeaways. See if we're thinking the same thing. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily have a bunch of numbers to to back it up, so I'm going to shy away from the analytics here for a second. But I was I was so impressed with what Jared Allen showed. Um, the last game versus the Wizards. Of course, he's he, Jared does what what he always does. He blocks a couple of shots per game, but the number of shots he modifies is ridiculous. The the piece that I thought was like just groundbreaking is watching Jared Allen guard Bradley Beal on the baseline and guard Kyle Kuzma for moments and uh, have to chase out Porzingis all the way to the three point line. Like what Jared Allen mm-hmm. does for this team on defense is, is just unbelievable. And I, I I know JB said it after one of the games. He's a you know it's time that people start talking about he's a defensive player of the year type of player and I just love to hear Jarrett get shine because he's not the flashiest guy he doesn't he doesn't talk the most but just what mm-hmm. he was doing with some of those mobile bigs against the Wizards I was I was just loving it on the couch yeah he he's played really well and I think like you noted like he defended Kyle Kuzma well in one possession where he he defended Kuzma down to the absolute last second of the shot clock and Kuzma just made a tough shot over him where it was good D better O in that situation but you don't really see a lot of that from Jared Allen. Like last season, you noticed stretchier bigs, whether it was like Joel Embiid or Nikola Vucevic is just an example I use a lot because Vucevic really had a propensity to burn Allen because Vuce can just go up to the three-point line and Allen isn't exactly comfortable going out there and defending in space like that, even though he showed a willingness to do it. And we were thinking in the same vein. It's just Jared Allen's been very impressive on defense, I believe. According to Second Spectrum, he's the sixth best uh, isolation defender in the league so far with um, Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananubi being one and two. But that's pretty impressive because, like you said, he was kind of forced by the Wizards to defend Bradley Beal sometimes. He was forced to defend Kyle Kuzma in isolation sometimes. He was forced to defend Christoph Porzingis one-on-one. Like, there's certain ways... Teams try to exploit the Cavs using two seven-footers, but if both of your seven-footers, like, I don't care offensively. Jared Allen doesn't need to shoot three pointers. Like he, he knows what he is. He's highly efficient as a rim running big man, but if he's comfortable defending in space and in isolation, that's pretty neat because Evan Mobley is also pretty comfortable doing that. And if Isaac Okoro can kind of turn around on offense, he's not so much of a liability. He's also comfortable defending on that. Like the Cavs can find a little bit of balance here where they you're just able to like pick from both sides of the spectrum and just be a balanced team on both ends of the floor where it's just not fun playing them. And Allen's always going to be the linchpin of it. I agree with your sentiment. I agree with JB's sentiment. I think he should be in that defensive player of the year competition and race. I don't think he will at the end of the day, just because there's a lot of good defensive players in the league, but if like all defensive honors definitely feel like they're within reach for Allen and, 
we'll just see what happens because like he, he showed a lot of multifaceted defensive capabilities against Washington and really did a good job defending Nikola Vucevic too. Like really kept him from gobbling up rebounds. Cause if he watched the Bulls Celtics game from last night, Vucevic, I believe had 10 offensive rebounds against Boston. Like Jared Allen definitely negated that. And I think that's also a key component too, where the Cavs kind of limit a lot of second chance opportunities by having a big body like Allen who has a nose for grabbing boards. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And even the even the Raptors game, I, I didn't see, and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see a ton of crashing on the offensive side. In a lot of plays, I saw Jared Allen around with like three or four Raptors around him. And of course, he didn't get a ton of uh, a ton of rebounds. I think opening night, but just his scrap, and he wasn't getting pushed around. He was just him battling down there, like one on three, one on four, and they're just so damn physical. I was just like, oh, shout out to our guy who's just getting absolutely bruised down there and, and still mm-hmm. putting up max effort. Toronto is an interesting team because they stylistically do play recklessly, I think is a good way to put it, but very physically, like I think they are a team that will likes to deliver a sucker punch a little bit and just kind of throw you off your kilter a little bit. And you saw with the Cavs, yes, they lost. And like you said, Toronto was really banging down low against Jared Allen. You saw Pascal Siakam kind of shredding Karis LeVert down the stretch at times too. But like the Cavs responded well to that adversity. I think that's just kind of like a broad takeaway is Cleveland has been in some interesting positions for the first three-ish games of the season. We'll see how Wednesday against Orlando goes, of course. But they have responded well to adversity. And this kind of carried from the preseason too, where they really do – fight back and claw into the games where you didn't see a lot of that last season, especially when the pressure was really on for them to kind of compete and maintain that lead in the Eastern conference. They crumbled under it. And maybe this team is hungry. Maybe they are wired a little bit differently. And it's something I'm definitely going to be watching, especially when they head to Boston on Friday and then host the Celtics on November 2nd. Yeah, they've they've got a they've got a tough stretch, you know, coming up. I, I, I maybe that's just redundant because the East is really good this year, and there's tough stretches all throughout the calendar. But yeah, there, there's some really interesting games coming up, and maybe that's the next place we go to is uh, one of the guys that they really need for for a game against a, a Boston or or a team in that elk is Darius Garland. Um, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like things are progressing a bit, but I don't know if we've heard too much definitive. Do, do you have anything from? you know, from JB or the team in terms of Darius Garland when they might expect them back? So I don't think there's a hard timeline for him to really be back. I think Donovan Mitchell just being hotter than, uh, just hotter than cooking oil right now is like <laughs> certainly going to help, you know, the rest and recovery. I think ditto for Ricky Rubio's rest and recovery too. Um, JB did say after practice today on Tuesday that, Darius was able to participate on some on-court activities. He didn't really go into details on what, but he just said, oh, he got some sweat in. Like, he got some work in. I I doubt that means contact because he did know that the eye is still pretty swollen. Um, I would imagine it's just a process. I think it's just you have to wait for his body to naturally heal and respond. But I think, like you said, like the game against Boston, that's that's pretty tricky. Like New York, they're playing pretty well to start the season too. Like that's not going to be an easy out on Sunday for Cleveland. And then you have Boston again on November 2nd, a few days after that, like there's, those are three pretty challenging games and Orlando too. Like that's they're, 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 they have not won a game yet, but they are still loaded with young talent. So like none of these games are like easy wins for the cast for sure. But again, with Donovan Mitchell playing so well, it's, it's easy for maybe to not rush Darius back. And then you just kind of figure it out from there. But 
you'd like to have him back sooner instead of later, but there's no firm update. I know Chris Fedor said that the goal is hopefully Sunday against New York, but if the swelling still like if it's gone down, but it hasn't gone down to enough where he's able to like participate in five on five or actual contact, you may want to say like, okay, maybe November 2nd, it gets Boston at home. Like, and Hey, nice way to make a return is on ESPN, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And this, this season is such a, such a marathon that, you know, the Cavs, Last year, especially once uh, once Rubio went down, you could say, hey, you know, they they don't have the really the talent. They needed to win some of those games to try to avoid the play in. This year, I think um, there's a little bit more talent, you know, kind of in the bank. So, hey, if, if Darius needs to sit a few extra games, I, I think that's yeah. a that's probably a wise move. Um, I guess the next step, because you and I have have already shared. Um, some really good thoughts, I think, about Donovan Mitchell. Really, we've been really impressed by Donovan Mitchell, and we've talked about Osmond. So we were thinking initially we were going to do some Week One awards, but I think mm-hmm. I know where both of us are probably at from an MVP and six man perspective. So maybe we maybe we can move. We'll just zoom past that, and we'll talk a little bit about rotations. Um, I, I I was looking up some some lineup data and with Osmond just shooting so ridiculously uh, such a ridiculous high percentage. It's, it's no surprise. It, it looks like the, you know, the best offensive uh, lineup thus far has been Donovan Mitchell, Levert, Osmond, Mobley, and Allen, where they're outscoring mm-hmm. opponents by about 23 points for the season. Um, I know you and I talked a, a little bit about the starting small forward role and the competition between Levert and Okoro previously. I guess just your your initial thoughts, Evan, on how good Osmond's played, and is there a chance he's played so well with Garland out that he eats into even more so of, of some of those uh, Okoro minutes for the next couple games? I would say so. I think J.B. Bickerstaff is a coach that likes to play the hot hand and kind of stick with guys that are clicking and firing on all cylinders, and you, you've noticed Isaac Okoro's minutes have kind of gone down a little bit game by game. Like... Toronto was a no-show. Chicago was a no-show. Washington was, again, pretty bad. Like, Isaac Okoro, it's a bummer because we were, when we were talking about the starting small forward spot, he had a pretty strong end to finish this preseason as well. And we were thinking, like, okay, he's going to push Karis LeVert a little bit for the starting spot probably because it, it just felt like a all but certain that Karis LeVert was locked in as the starting three for the Cavs. But at least, I'm, I'm glad you didn't ask me if Jetty was going to start for this team because I'm very much of the mindset, hey – you don't want to ask him to do too much. You ask him to be a shooter. You ask him to maybe give you some playmaking, some rebounding every now and then. But like more than anything, you just want him to be a shooter and like you give him some simple tasks and also deploy him in tandem with guards that'll get him the ball easier. Because Jetty does have a propensity to do too much. But yeah, I could see him eating into Okoro's minutes. And I think you already are starting to see it because if Jetty is hot and he keeps giving you three pointers, like that's just that's just the nature of the beast in today's NBA. Like you need to hit and take and make threes and if Isaac Kohoro is not doing it like he can give you all the defense you want but in turn if he's not giving you anything on offense I think you can mask some of Jenny Osmond's defensive issues with Mobley and Allen especially in that successful lineup like you said that you can just kind of encourage Osmond to be guns away from three and just kind of work on it that way so yeah I can see it being a possibility but who knows? Maybe Isaac Okoro turns things around a little bit too, and then you see him kind of creep back into playing 20-ish, 25-ish minutes a night instead, instead of Osmond playing, I believe, 26 minutes per game right now. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, like, how do you feel about it? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think at least me just just being the simpleton fan that I am, there was some really nice momentum <laughs> coming off some of Okoro's best offensive performances we've seen, I, I think, since he's been in the NBA. The, a couple of those games in the preseason, that beautiful article by uh, Chris Fudor came out about you know the shooting and all the numbers and all the offseason work he put on. I felt like there was so much momentum. It was, it was such a kiss of death, man. Like oh. The article came out, the two really <laughs> strong preseason games. You're like, oh, maybe Okoro is going to turn it around. And then you see him whiff a Euro step against the Raptors. And you're like, uh oh, and then you kind of went downhill from there. You're exactly right. Big O, uh oh, and it, it's just like it, it, maybe the maybe the maybe playing the Raptors and a couple of those possessions early where he kind of got stripped. It's just like what a, what a not not a great opponent from a confidence standpoint. Like I would have loved to see maybe a, the Wizards game or the Bulls game before the the Raptors game, but he had a couple of things go wrong offensively. Stepped out of bounds a couple of times in the same game, and it's just like it, you just can't. He he doesn't do enough. Um, he does a lot of good good things defensively. He's not racking up the the steals and the blocks mm-hmm. and forcing turnovers. He stays in front of his guy and is a little foul happy at times. But but yeah, I think I think to maybe the point you made on locked on Cavs um, on today's show, he, he just you can't get zero from him. You, you just can't yeah. because we see that with the Lakers. I mean, you get when your jump shot's not respected by any degree it's four on five and that makes it really tough to score in the NBA. No, I absolutely agree. And to extrapolate a little bit, like I, I titled that audio and we sent to our producer, like my apologies to Isaac Okoro's family house and dynasty after just kind of tearing him apart a little bit there. But <laughs> JB Pickerstaff really hammered home the point. I think a lot of it is coach speak like, Hey, we can't put Isaac Okoro in a box. We have to let him have a little bit of freedom offensively. And maybe you see, you saw more of it during the preseason against like the second stringers and third stringers on the Hawks and the magic, but the Cavs are in a different situation. And I've kind of felt this way since last season where you saw Lacoro show a lot of his limitations because the Cavs really accelerated things after they got Evan Mobley. And it's, it's tough because you want to see Isaac perform. I think he has the ability to perform. I think defensively he could be the best perimeter defender on this team. If not already, he is, but it's just, teams aren't going to respect you or be honest defending you. You're going to see guys sag off of you and it's just going to create a lot of frustration and liabilities. And I stress this during the off season, even if he became a below semi below average shooter and he's giving you eight to 10 points a night and really solid defense and maybe a couple assists. Like that's, that's a home run for Isaac Coro. But like right now it's just, it's a mess. He's averaging a point or less than a point on like 20% shooting this season. And he hasn't hit a single three pointer. And it's just, it's just tough. It was like you said, like everything felt great with like after the feeder article, it was like a really great feature on him. And then there's the two preseason games and you're like, okay, maybe Isaac Oro can turn the page a little bit. Maybe he's no longer just a guy. And he, yeah, he did have unprecedented circumstances, but it's just, it's frustrating. And like the circle back to like our initial outline, like, needs improvement that's that's the guy that needs improvement i just don't know how cleveland can find it 
when there's guys that are playing better in front of him right now that probably deserve more of his minutes. Yeah. And, and D- Dean Wade to me is one of those guys understood. He's not as you know laterally as quick as Isaac Okoro is, but just the, the gravity that Dean Wade brings on behind the three point arc. And yeah, if, if I look at Okoro's um, quick stats, you know, opening game, opening night, 12 minutes, Oh, for one from the field against the Chicago Bulls, 27 minutes, one for five against the Wizards, 20 minutes, one for four. And he attempted a couple of threes in each game, but, but obviously didn't, didn't hit any. And, and there's just not, he's not the kind of guy that's going to grab a bunch of rebounds or have assists or, or even has steals. He has one steal for the year. So um, yeah, it's just, it's tough, man. It's just, it's yeah. tough. Like, I don't, you throw up your hands and say he is pretty much the same player he was last season right now. And that's a little concerning because you expect a, some type of leap in your yeah. degree. Yeah. On the flip side of the the competition for the starting small forward role, Karis Levert, I, I've seen like I've seen a lot of interesting stuff about Karis Levert. There there's some really good, I think, so far this year. There's some not so good. Do you have any thoughts on you know how you think Levert's playing? It's tough because he hasn't had a chance to play with with Darius and Donovan really throughout these first three games. But mm-hmm. how do you think Levert's played both on the offensive and defensive side thus far. I don't think he's been like great defensively. So the game against Toronto, not stellar, obviously the game against Chicago, he was better. He did a good job containing or helping contain um, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine just went off because he had fresh legs that night. And then against Washington, he had a few good possessions against Brad Beal. Like it's Karis Levert when he, people think he could be the ball stopper. He was in Brooklyn. I don't think you're going to get that anymore because physically you just can't because of injuries and everything else he's dealt with. But on the inverse offensively, I, I think he's played well. Um, I, I'm pleasantly surprised and pleasantly glad to say I'm wrong about his fit with this system where he is becoming more comfortable. And he said several times he's still adjusting to kind of just truly playing off ball next to Donovan and Darius, but it's a little bit of that. And then he'll be deployed in lineups with just Darius or just Donovan. And then he'll get his number called every now and then a score in isolation or be that secondary uh, creator and everything else. But it's not seamless yet. Uh, my co-host unlocked on Cavs, Chris Manning, has really noted a few times, like defensively, there are going to be some quiet concerns about Mitchell, Garland, and Levert sharing the floor together, especially in crunch time situations. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, obviously. But for now, it's been not not terrible offensively. I think more than anything with Isaac Okoro just being so bad, like Levert doesn't really have any serious competition for the starting three spot right now. And more than anything, he's been giving you enough offensively. And again, it's kind of similar to the Jetty Osmond aspect with that lineup with the Coro or uh, sorry, with Mitchell, um, Mobley and Allen. Like you can have a bit of a defensive cover with Mobley and Allen and then Donovan Mitchell at least trying on defense that you can maybe mask some of the deficiencies the bird has. Yeah, I think it was last game against the Wizards. Um, Levert's, I think, done a decent job of of kind of getting to his spot when he's dribbling in. He's gotten to the rack a couple times, and I, I need to go back, and I'll, I'll go back and look it up in terms of his finishing at the rim, but he's had like three or four bunnies where he's getting contested, but I'd say 85% of the time uh, an NBA player you know, gets the ball in the cup from there. And he's, he's had a hard time with some of those bunnies where he's going up, so that's something I'll, I'll dig into. But I, I think he's had some tough luck. Um, yeah, to your point earlier, I mean, he's making his threes. He's missing all of his twos. He's missing all of his twos. So we're, we're probably going to see that. It's odd for him as a player because he's expecting to miss more threes than twos. 
<laughs> exactly. Yep. And he, he historically, obviously, he hasn't been a great three point shooter. So it's it's been very interesting going on the Levert ride. And you know, the one thing, and this is just me being a little grumpy about stylistically. Um, I don't love. You know, I, I think there were there were two possessions. Uh, last game against the Wizards where I think it was Donovan, you know, dribbled in, uh, defense collapsed. It was like swing, swing to Karras on, I think, the left-hand side. And instead of like one more, like the hockey, instead of the hockey assist or one more swing to a shooter, he, he went into his, his dribble drive thing. And it's just, it's not like my preferred style of basketball, but mm-hmm. he has been a great connector so far. And, he, and he's uh, he's averaging a fair fair amount of assists thus far. So I think I need to probably uh, – deal with it until Darius Carlin comes back and then we'll see what the offense looks like with those three. No, you're allowed to be grumpy about that. You're absolutely are. And I think I understand the sentiment with it too, where it's frustrating because you want it to be more of a proper fit at this point. But mm-hmm. I think also just, I, I will give the grain of salt where Karis Levert's still kind of learning how to adapt to being like a guy who predominantly plays off ball. And like Darius Garland said he, to me he can be lethal air quotes in the spread pick and roll offense the Cavs kind of run at times and I think you're seeing it with the three-point attempts and not a lot of mid-range shots but I don't know I think they'll it'll balance out then the Cavs will figure it out I think JB will need to kind of wait and he's he's a pragmatic coach in terms of his approach when it comes to like his lineups and planning so he's not going to make like a drastic change three games in but like five to ten games what's working, what's not working. Like Evan Mobley averaging less than double digit shot attempts is a little concerning to me still, but like they Mm -hmm. have to fix that. And I think maybe getting Levert some cleaner looks in the mid range where he's truly comfortable and Bakerstaff isn't a coach that discourages mid range shots is like the next step for them to an extent at times. Like it's interesting to see, but I think like, like you said, like him going into that dribble, 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 like trying to attack the basket. Like, I think that's just him trying to, break his old habits but sometimes leans into them just in the crunched situation just the heat of the moment yeah i'm glad you brought up evan mobley and not that we need to dive too far into this but the i i i very much am thinking have been thinking exactly what you just stated about his lack of attempts and specifically the chicago bulls game i I was just watching him it may have been because i had the over in points 15 and a half he cashed it at 16 thank you very much evan mobley but (laughs) uh but he was guarded primarily by patrick williams but they were constantly getting him switched on to other guys like levine and DeRozan. and and I, i didn't see i didn't see an emphasis to get him the ball once he had one of those two guys on him levine or DeRozan. it it was just a little curious to me why they weren't force fitting it. Obviously Donovan had a great game, so other guys were doing it, but I, I just thought without Darius, Mobley would kind of take that, take that step up with, with just the touches. I'm not even saying making the mm-hmm. shots, but just the attempts. So that, that part was a little surprising to me. Yeah. It's surprising to me too. I wonder if part of it is he doesn't have that luxury of having a proper preseason with these guys in the camp. Cause he's dealing with the ankle injury and he's still learning on the fly how to play with Donovan Mitchell. And I was talking to Chris Manning about this for Wednesday's episode of Locked on Cavs. I think just that's the issue with not having Darius Carlin is you don't have a guard out there who is truly comfortable, like getting Evan Mobley, his, the ball in spots he likes and just certain attempts and everything. And the other issue is, and it's not really an issue, but it's just how he's wired as a player. Mobley is also the guy who would rather look for a pass than a shot attempt because he thinks it's going to lead to more of a successful play where I noticed it a little bit against Washington. Like I didn't notice what you said about in the Chicago game, but against Washington where Jared Allen is in the low block and he had his hands up and Mobley throws it to him and the defense collapses on Allen. He throws it right back to Mobley and then the defense is resets and starts to defend Mobley again. Mobley passes it right back to Jared Allen. I'm just like, (laughs) 
man, you could have taken that jump shot because your shot is looking a lot better this season. But I think maybe it's just a little bit of tentativeness and he just wants to make sure he's leading the winning plays where they'll figure it out. I think JB just being honest and saying, hey, that's on me more than anything. I need to get him better looks, especially at the rim or in terms of three-point shots because JB really wants to unlock and empower Evan offensively at times because defensively there's no concern because he's just such a cerebral player on that end of the floor that you just got to find come up with creative ways. And I just also do think part of it is the, the Cavs are just kind of saying like, you know what, Donovan, just go do what makes you successful in Utah. Like we're going to run spread, pick and roll. We're going to have shooters on the perimeter. We're going to have a big man who can roll to the basket. We're going to get you as many clean looks as possible because he's averaging like 20 plus shot attempts with Darius Garland out. And that's also part of it too, is like, there's only so many opportunities. And I think Donovan Mitchell's just going to soak a lot of those up while he's just kind of the primary initiator for 40 plus minutes a night. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you. The the one really encouraging thing to me about Evan Mobley so far, even even though the the attempts haven't quite been where I expected them to be, is his free throw shooting. He's eleven of twelve so far with his on his free throws this season, and he started off his rookie year pretty hot on on free throws, and then he he really cratered down the stretch. I think he dropped all the way to the to the high sixty uh, percentile. Yeah. So great to see him 11 of 12 so far i think he's one of three from three um which he all three of those attempts came against the raptors opening night and then 11 of 12 from the free throw line so just him getting those free throws down if you know obviously he's not going to stay at 91 but you know if he can if he can stay around that 75 to 80 percent that, that would be a vast improvement for him which would be great yeah it would be and i i have the same concerns as you um <clears throat> with mobley kind of Kate cratering as a free throw shooter i'm like eh, maybe the, the shooting mechanics thing like maybe that's not going to be something that instantly translates because there is something you can kind of take hand in hand with like is, if a guy's a good free throw shooter there's there's a there's a capability for him to become like a good jump shooter and especially a three-point shooter but he really hyped it up during the preseason and evan mobley is not one to really mince words because he seldom speaks so I would want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'd like to see him attempt more three-pointers if the Cavs are going to try and advocate that a little bit. I think he's shooting 33% on one attempt per game right now. So, again, it's a three-game sample size. It's not huge, but that's just kind of like a bit of like a little red flag that shot up because my friend Danny Cunningham pointed out to me, like, yeah, he's averaging less than 10 attempts per game. And I'm like, huh, you kind of don't want that from a guy that's probably going to be the your, your best player the next two or three years. <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally agree. And w without Darius, you you'd think he, he would be stepping up. But to your I think you made the best point earlier on, which was he was sprained ankle. He was out essentially two whole weeks. So once we revisit maybe over the next three or four games, so that doesn't go up at that point, then it'll be an, maybe an interesting uh, topic to d dissect a little bit to see who's getting the touches and uh, and why it's not Mobley. Um, well, Evan, do you want to get out of here with a couple of trivia questions? Sure, let's do it. Hopefully I do better. <laughs> yeah. Doing trivia scenarios. yeah no pressure or anything it is it is uh tuesday trivia so we got i got two for you here i'll cool. i'll hit them to you kind of quick you you may know them it's uh, you can tell we we definitely didn't prep this because I, I may just throw you a softball here i'm not sure um uh, but i'm gonna go the first question i'm gonna go with team stats so okay. the cavaliers have excelled with a couple of team stats this year and evan my question first question to you will be um where do the Cavaliers currently rank higher in terms of full team shooting percentage? Is it their field goal percentage or their free throw percentage? So which do they rank higher, field goal percentage or free throw percentage? I was hoping you can say three-point percentage because I'd say that uh, much more confidently. 
Um, I want to say field goal percentage just because Jared Allen's a cheat code right now. Yep. So they're both ridiculous. It's actually free throw percentage. So the Cavs are shooting their Cavs are first in free throw percentage, 86.4% from the free throw line. Donovan Mitchell and and Evan Mobley have really helped out that number. And they're third uh, in uh, in the league in terms of field goal percentage at 49.2. Just ridiculous free throw shooting so far from the boys. An offensive juggernaut known as the Cleveland Cavaliers, something we all expected heading into the season. <laughs> That's right. All right, I'll, I'll, we'll get uh, we'll get you out of here on this one. So, last trivia okay. question for you here: um, PER, player efficiency rating. So, for folks uh-huh. that don't know what this is, I'll, I'll rattle it off real quick. PER essentially takes into account all the good things and the bad things that you do on the court. So, a good thing could be made field goals, made free throws, uh, made three pointers, assists, rebounds, blocks, steals, all the good stuff. Um, and then it takes into account negative stuff like missing shots turnovers, um, personal fouls. It takes all that into account. So typically your PER player efficiency rating leaders are guys like Giannis and Joker guys who just do a bunch of stuff really well. Um, so Mm -hmm. the Cavaliers have two guys in the top 30 in player efficiency rating. One of those is Donovan Mitchell. And the second guy, I have to give you a little bit of a clue because this one's kind of tough. So um, we're going to ask who the second player in the top 30 is in player efficiency rating. I am going to call out for you though. It is a bench player. So no one else in the starting lineup is in the top 30. The second person in the top 30 on the Cavs um, is in the top 30 player efficiency rating. Who would that second player be? I don't think it's Dean Wade. I don't, it's definitely not Isaac Okoro. I, I can say that with a lot of confidence right now. Um, so it's either Jetty Osmond or Robin Lopez, because I don't think Holoneto qualifies for PER right now because he hasn't played enough, but. And the Donovan Mitchell aspect doesn't surprise me because he's just playing out of his court right now. But I'm going to go to Robin Lopez. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Robin Lopez is correct. Robin Lopez, 26.46 PER. I think he clocked in around 26 in the league. Osmond was 18.32, so I think he was top 50. But nicely done. I I thought I was really going to stump you there. I didn't know if you were going to be able to pull Rolo out of the lineup. That was very impressive, Evan. (laughs) I can't pull him out of the lineup after that circus shot he made. My my brain melted for a split second when I saw that happen. I was just like, what the heck? (laughs) And my favorite favorite part about that, though, is – when you ask anyone about it, like of all guys to happen to, it makes the most sense that it was Robin Lopez. Like the guy who looks the most, like he looks like he'd be the most least coordinated person ever. Like just somehow makes the craziest shot. Falling on his ass about to get the three second call flips it over his head and, and boom, there we go. Two points. And they needed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, needed they did. It could have been the difference. It probably was the difference maker making overtime or not. Let's just, that's the butterfly effect is if Robin Lopez does or doesn't make the shot. <laughs> that's right well evan very impressive man one at two you, you got the tough tougher question right uh correct in my opinion so very nicely done it if, if we continue this segment i'll keep track and we'll do this professionally so i'll, I'll make okay. sure that we'll we'll keep player efficiency ratings uh, on your uh your answered questions so we'll, we'll get this going here um Sounds great. Well, well to close um evan any last nuggets any last thoughts before we wrap up um hmm I don't know. It's just check out Locked On Cavs. We've been grinding a lot. Check out Fear the Sword. We've been grinding over there too. There's a lot of great writers that are just hungry to talk with this team and just watch this team however you can. It's just, it, they're fun. Like, folks, if you aren't checking out the Cleveland Cavaliers, they are a breath of fresh, fresh air, especially after watching the Browns every Sunday. 
Absolutely. Yeah. This, I mean, you're, you're going from just one of the more frustrating teams. I, a bunch of guys on our website talk about it, podcast about it. One of the more frustrating teams to a team that's young, fun, and, and battles their asses off. And it's truly a well-run organization where there's buy-in and good culture and can't say the same for other teams in this city. So please uh, keep listening to us here. We'll, we'll aim to be back next week. Follow us here at WFNY Cleveland. I'm at Seth Hoops. He's at Am Not Evan. Please read him. Uh, write down Euclid. Listen to him. Locked on Cavs. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.